Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. I'm honored to have award-winning poet and author, Dr. Hiram LaRue, as my special guest tonight. I have a great deal of admiration for Dr. LaRue, who lives in Maryland. He has achieved significant success as the founder of Poetry X Hunger, bringing the world of poetry to the anti-hunger cause. His poetry has appeared in journals such as Poetry South, The Brown Critique, and Contemporary American Voices. A new collection of his poems, Petulies, was published by Cyberwit Press in 2023. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. LaRue. Dr. Ingram, I am so honored to be here with you. It's a great privilege. Thank you. Yes, well, actually, the honor is mine. I I really do. I think you are an incredible, incredible person, and I commend all the good works that you do. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, It's uh, it's uh, as in all things, this is the Poetry X Hunger is a big group effort. Maybe we'll have a chance towards uh, a little bit later on in the program to talk a little bit about that initiative. I'd love to if we do. Yes, I'd love to hear more. Now, Patchy Ways, tell me about it. What what inspires you to write the book? Well, Michael, you know, I have to say, right at the beginning, I have lived a very privileged life. Uh, and in a way, I kind of feel honor-bound to acknowledge that that upbringing and to share a gratitude that never assumes luck, um, but that really does try to express an amazement, an amazement with what we call living. And so, said slightly differently, I I hope through this collection and the others that I've uh, that I've been able to produce. Uh, to kind of plant a garden with big, hopeful tomato poems growing in it uh, to share. Um, And so, yes, I wrote the book as a way of offering what I would call red, ripe garden tomatoes to folks. I just wanted to try to give through the poems. Well, patchy ways, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, uh, patchy ways. (laughs) I've enjoyed kind of uncertainties as I've lived. I've enjoyed a lot of uncertainties, a lot of doubts, many steps forward, many more steps back. And, of course, I've learned along the way. And so I realize that I'll always be learning forever. And in the meantime, I've kind of patched things together, a little Mm -hmm. bit from here, some from there. I've found a way that clearly isn't perfect But for that reason and for that reason seems kind of perfectly patchy uh, for me. So I chose this title as a kind of a reflection of at least one way of living. Now, was the title 
created during childhood or you heard it from your parents, you know, that expression, patchy ways, or is it something no. you created yourself? No, it, it came about, I think, maybe two or three years ago, probably in the middle of the night when I woke up and <laughs> eyes blinking and kind of going, uh, ways. It first started as a title of a poem, and that poem was in the collection. And then as I thought about about that title of the poem, I thought, you know, I think I'd kind of be comfortable uh, even relish having that title for the entire collection. So that's where it came from. Now, this is your sixth collection, am I correct? Right, yes. Uh-huh. So did you write this particular collection during the pandemic before the pandemic, after the pandemic, talk to me. Yeah, uh, I wrote many of the poems during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And again, as a result of that, being so grateful that I could even write and that I was in a place that was so conducive to writing. Uh, mm-hmm. A few of the poems I pulled from kind of my older inventory, I guess you'd say, of poems, but most of the poems were written uh, during the pandemic and then assembled. I went to a, a writer's getaway uh, mm-hmm. about, I think it was about a year ago, something like that, and uh, began to kind of assemble them into into the collection. Yeah. How did the pandemic affect your writing? Well, in an odd sort of way, uh, I, I think it, Contributed and and um, moved some of the some of my work a little bit further, simply because we were so close down. Any mm-hmm. kind of human interaction through modes like you and I are visiting using to visit with this evening, uh, or certainly Zoom, uh, were were so appreciated. We were so grateful. We have been and continue to be so grateful yes. for those connections. And um, I think also because I, I, about the same time that the pandemic clamped down, I moved to a waterfront uh, cottage that I rent, and it's just remarkably uh, beautiful pretty much every minute of the day and night. And so for that, I was able to get out and enjoy the outdoors, realizing that the outdoors didn't expect or didn't uh, respect a pandemic. It was still very beautiful outdoors. So I found some solace in that. Right. You know, I would share the expression that it's beautiful but deadly at the same time. Mm-hmm. Just thinking yeah. about that, wow, something. Now, the cover of your book, Patchy Ways, it is so striking, the simplicity of it. Tell me more about it. Well, I do prefer simple covers, okay. um, and and so I asked the publisher at uh, Cyberwit Press if they might design a look that wasn't glossy or or kind of spicy, and I asked that the prime real estate called the back cover uh, mm-hmm. be used for to showcase a, a poem from the collection, and they seemed quite willing to do that. I, I just kind of like, yes, the simplicity of it with the hope that then, uh, you know, the the person viewing the cover might be kind of curious enough to open up the book. <laughs> we'll, right. we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> so the color green, any specific reason for green? Oh, for the patch? Uh, 
Let yeah, I, I love I love I've always loved green and all okay. shades of it. And, uh, okay. Yeah, so I think uh, something there, kind of renewal, hopeful, all of those sorts of terms come to mind when I think of green. All right, very nice. Now, when you think about the book, in terms of some of the predominant themes, let's go over those again. What do you share about? Okay, I would say that the predominant theme of these poems is wonder. A little bit of wonder as well. These poems wander or echo, and a lot of them ask. Um, there are a few kind of narrative poems uh, that are included, and they, of course they tell a story or harken back to ancestors and kind of ruminate about those. But um, many of these poems uh, explore without necessarily finding. And there are several poems that are simply giddy, or being out in the open field of what I call the moment. So they're, they're kind of a combination of look back, look up, look forward, look out. Um, and overall, overall, I'm hoping to convey a sense of wonder. All right. Everyone, Dr. Hiram LaRue, you're wrong, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Michael, again, my gratitude to you. Um, let me read uh, about, I think, three or four poems here I've got. Uh, this first one is a little bit older one, but it does appear in catchy ways. And it's all about adolescence. I, I am always amazed by and kind of flummoxed by the whole process of my having grown up and anyone growing up. Um, so this one's about adolescence or its awakening, and it first appeared in the Tall Review. It's titled Roy. You have to be at least 20 years old to figure out how far's a mile. Why so old? Because when you're only knee-high, all you know are boats on a dress. Hmm. Never trouble. And at 14 or 15, all of your friends are popcorn. It's only at 20 or thereabouts that you start making calls to get real answers or all of a sudden notice that that dot up there in the distance just waved. And this next one, as I get older, I think more about getting older. And so this one is uh, is kind of focused on that process and, and its finality. It's titled Twist by Rise. Cover me with branches down for grass is plain or roaming vines, their twists that rise. Cover me as shining dirt that teases time, or bury sound my underleaves, my fluster clouds, my going. Then oak this time 
this overall, this wander off beyond. Cover me as wishing can in purely coulds or deep inside this chuckling shade. Cover me with always will these handsome bowels, this hillside bound. And as I mentioned uh, here a minute ago, I've I've always been interested in the kind of process of growing up and self-discovery. This piece first appeared in a calendar, a lunar calendar that tracks the phase every day of the moon. And it's also uh, published by Luna Press. And it's also, this poem has also been translated into German beautifully, I think, uh, by Stephanie Niles. It's titled Clusters. When I was 15, I learned to visit the moon with a backpack of wonder. My paint was stars. Such sights were my clusters, and travel came folded in blankets. Yes, when I was 15, I wandered the moon's surface like silver and learned before ever learning anything else how bold something silent or off to itself could be. And the last in this set is an what I would call an early morning hymn or chant. <laughs> it's titled Psalmed, like the biblical psalm, but this is kind of past tense, Psalmed. Frayed with joy, tossed by light recited. Flying upside down with giddy, as whistled branches flick or glow each passage. Slicks of grass sweeping, or weak-kneed breezy hymns that lift the loving scattered from each and every bough of aisle. And most of all, this want for words, this lost by heart in fields, this silly worship leaping. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Process what you've shared. <laughs> what I'd first like to know is the word wonder. What compels you to write about it? I want to hear more about that. Tell me what compels you to write about wonder. Um, you know, I don't mean to sound corny. But as I, I get a little bit older, I just am so grateful for 
the time I have and mm-hmm. the time I have had, um, particularly when I realize, as I mentioned at the outset, that that comes you know, with a considerable, a lot of horse load of privilege. Um, I just, I, I, one way I have of dealing with that is to simply express gratitude. And for me, there's a great deal of wonder, wonder fills gratitude. And mm-hmm. um, so that's, that's where some of the wonder comes from. All right. So generally then, what moves you to write a poem? What is the core impulse for you, my friend? Um, it's a, it's a, it tends to be different, every poem. Okay. Sometimes, uh, and I'm sure many, if not all other poets, probably experience something similar uh, in a very unexpected way, an idea, thought, phrase, or feeling will pop up unexpectedly out of nowhere and uh, be unrelated to anything I was just thinking about <laughs> and will demand that I, uh, you know, either try to capture it, write it down, because if I don't write it down, I forget it, and then explore it. And so um, I don't, I do not, like so many wonderful poets, have a regimen or a routine for writing. I tend to write when... Uh, when when moved to write, I guess you'd say, or when yes. when urged to write by the words that are coming. So when you think about writing this particular book, how many poems did you compose, and what was the selection process like? How did you decide what to choose? Yeah. Well, of course, many poets uh, work on a theme or a timeline. I typically have not, and I do not. Um, I just, for whatever reason, I prefer poems that kind of romp around a bit. And so I wanted poems with different tones, different topics, different faces, if you will, in the collection. And most of the poems were uh, written in, in, as we were saying earlier, in recent months. Uh, Many have appeared elsewhere. And uh, so I held back a few pieces that, you know, I thought "Mm, maybe they're not quite ready or maybe maybe a future collection. So um, that's a little bit of the, the kind of the process that I used. All right. So in terms of your strategy for organizing the poems in the collection, tell me more about that. Yeah, the poems are arranged. Now, this is all my hope. Okay. All right. <laughs> <But I've laughs> poems in the collection in a way that I'll say kind of winks at the reader and prods the reader or nudges the reader forward and kind of reach, hopefully reaches out and maybe even entices the reader to follow along. And if there's kind of a progression or a timeline in the collection, it's one that, you know, perhaps mirrors the hodgepodge nature of living itself. Uh, I, I think there is a, a little bit of the um, uh, that hodgepodge uh, in, in the collection, and that's kind of intentional. Okay. You know, I'd like to go to the the phone lines. Got a caller. I'd like to bring this person on. Are you ready, Hire? All sure. right. <laughs> okay. Area area code two four zero. First three numbers are three five three. You're on the air with Dr. Hiram LaRue. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. 
Good evening. This is my lucky, lucky day. <laughs> I think I might know who this is. <laughs> what about you, Dr. Do Dr. LaRue? Do know who it is? I think I do, Lady Di. <laughs> Lady Di. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad. Yes. Happy to hear oh. you. It's exciting. Yes. I li- well, Lady Di, I like. I like hearing how you arrive at your poetry. I've never asked you that before, or never thought of how how your process. And, well, you know, Lady you Di, sometimes I think, yeah, sometimes I think, Lady mm-hmm. Di, we're all so involved in attending readings where we hear each other read our work, we don't spend too much time asking each other, well, how did you, you know, oh, how no. do you, yeah, the process. And so that's what's so magical about Dr. Ingram's show. He kind of both presents, you know, allows us to present some of the poems, but then kind of steps behind the curtain and asks, well, so what was, you know, what, how did you do that? His questions are very, um, um, they they pull a lot out of you, you know. You, you bring things, you hadn't thought about it, you hadn't thought about it, you just did it, you know. I just I did agree. it, you know. And I like, um, I like how your metaphors bring a real hearty wonder. I think the metaphors that you use, so many metaphors. And like um, how bold is darkness, um, mm-hmm. quiet, I say quiet boldness. Mm-hmm. That's, good. What I, that's what came to me, a quiet, like the darkness of the sky, the dark sky at night. I might I, have I'm to really use enjoying Go ahead, Hiram. I was going to say, I might have to use that phrase. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Which one, quiet boldness? <laughs> well, anyway, I'm enjoying it. So you, you two have a good time, and I'll be enjoying myself listening to you. Both. All right. Thank you so it's much. My, it's my lucky, you know. right. my lucky, lucky night. Thank you. It's our lucky night, too. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you know, you. Hiram, as you think about the book itself, what was the, the easiest part of writing it? And to follow that, what was the potentially the most challenging part about writing it? The collection itself? <clears throat> yes. Yeah. The, probably the most gratifying part of it was just seeing the poems begin to work with uh, or around each other, just beginning to pull them together and seeing how they might actually constitute a a collection. That was gratifying. Probably the most challenging was uh, getting them dressed up and ready to go. And I mean by that, um, as, as we may have a chance to visit about here in a few minutes, I tend to revise. Uh, respect okay. the revision process quite a bit. And so um, spending time revising them, which I enjoyed doing, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, that, that took some time and took some attention and uh, I had to get their Sunday best on to go out, you know, and make sure that everything was uh, ship-shape. So that was, that was probably the most time-intensive portion of the process. All right. Please share some more of your work. Sure. Um, so I was lucky enough uh, about a year ago, or maybe no, about a year and a half ago, autumn, maybe a year and a half ago, to go to a writer's getaway, and I was stopped really mid-walk, uh, mid-breath almost, uh, by a field that I was walking by out, out in the country at this getaway. 
and all that that field offered. Um, <clears throat> this poem was first published in an anthology produced by Marilyn Bards. It's, uh, the poem is titled Ode to Stubbled Fields. Where mountains blend old with frost, how morning's dawn brings orange to blue inside us. Where crows that are so fully made long and winter pens away, or leaves drift back, or chosen songs forever hum. Where brambles edge the less with more and dark berries of. These marvels come so happened upon. Their early crests are all there is of knowing. Yes, where mountains blend only here with only if and take each heart its sake to open days in stubbled fields. Michael, before I go to the next poem, I just mentioned I'm, I'm kind of getting excited. I'm hoping it's all going to work out. I'm working with a professional whistler to whistle behind that poem, uh, the poem, The Stubbled Fields. And I'm really hoping, I've always wanted whistling to accompany some of my poems, and so I'm hoping that that will all work out. Uh, this next one is all about resilience and what a person should or can do when worn out or feeling kind of low. It's titled, Arms Widely. If you get angry, walk backwards. If you're terribly lonely, sing off key. When too tired to begin, wear bright socks. You'll love it. And if you're worried or anxious, just remember last summer's trees. If you're feeling poorly at the moment, read history. And over all of that, if or as you're giving up, let some kids come in. This poem, uh, upcoming poem, was written uh, during a, a time I had uh, in Ireland at a writer's college, cottage. And uh, it, it mentions, it's kind of all about the Irish potato famine, which occurred from 1845 to 1849. It was devastating. Um, at that time, or just before the potato famine, potatoes were planted in rows of what were called lazy beds. They were, they were called lazy beds because they were a little bit easier to dig. So they were called lazy beds. And the poem is titled, Lazy Beds. There was nothing romantic about them. 
no misty aura or smoke or dreams, no bedtime stories. They beckoned no fairies to hover and plucked no harps. From these hillsides came the poorest potatoes in thin soils of history as a withered future. They were planted in spring and seemed hopeful with sprouts. But then, as feared by worried mothers, vines shriveled under clouds as rot took away each and every comfort. So come autumn's frost and waiting hearts, only meager was found. What few meals were dug up got carried to peaty grates in mud-poor sacks. And buttermilk or seaweed, if at all, was mixed in to stave the soul. These lazy beds, their hillsides, their lack and starve and lost are all abandoned now, gone as ghosts to ever sake. And here's one, last one in this set, about it's a love song to frustration. <laughs> it's, uh, it first appeared in the Iowa Review, and it's titled Spike. What a day it's been, with every ornery stepping forward. It started with a hole that should have been butter to dig, but was cussed with rocks. Next, next came some green, oily smoke rolling through with alarm from somewhere close by. And meaner than all of that was the hornet's nest that should have been as easy as pie to get at, but was, in fact, buried deep down in thorns like the devil. What might otherwise have been plain and simple became whipped up and shouting with no clear cause at all, except, of course, for the world's ongoing need to connive. Thanks, Michael. Oh, <laughs> wow. You know, Hiram, there's just something about your voice. Have any of your books been made into audiobooks? Uh, the last collection uh, before Petraways, the collection before that was titled is titled Mutterjar, and it was audio narrated into an audio book by the one and only T. A. Niles. So yes, oh, it's all right. available, <laughs> and he's got that voice to end all voices, as they say. So yes, he, he has an incredible voice, and so do you. And I was wondering what the connection or relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? 
it's interesting. I remember early on as I was starting to uh, go out to readings, you know, back in the day when things were all in person and uh, there weren't too many people at readings, uh, mentioning to folks that so many of the poets, as they got up to the mic, their behavior, mm-hmm. their posture, and their voice <laughs> changed completely. <laughs> and somebody said, well, yours did too, LaRue. And so, yeah, I think something about, I try to kind of honor, and I, I know that sounds kind of wonky, but I do try to kind of honor the poem by by trying to read it, you know, uh, in a way that folks can hear clearly and and so on. So, yeah, I, I do enjoy uh, reading them aloud. I was read aloud to a lot when I was a kid, and I have very big ears. So I think, I think you know, I just enjoy hearing poems being read aloud. All right. I'd like you to share with me the titles of five poems in the book. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, there, there. Uh, I think a total of about seventy poems in the book, and oh, wow. here are just a few, just to kind of give you a flavor. One is titled "Start Hillsides." Another one is titled "More Than This." Uh, one is titled "Slowing Feels." Another all about kind of the wonder that I have with anything that looks backlit is titled titled An Edges Lit. And, of course, I have to have one in here called A Corner Life. So I kind of like the slant. I kind of like kilter in titles. Okay. So when you're titling a poem, what should you consider? What recommendations would you give to others in terms of titling? Sure. Um, well, I wouldn't presume to suggest a process for others, uh, but I do enjoy the process of titling. I really do. A lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people um, are concerned about that process, but I just absolutely love love titling. I often pull a phrase from the poem, uh, and it's often an unexpected, or as I just said, kind of an off kilter phrase that may have. You know, hopefully may have the reader kind of wonder and wanting to to know more. Um, in some cases, the poem does ask to be titled uh, with with a title that isn't embedded in the poem, um, mm-hmm. but seems kind of derived from it. So, uh, kind of a mix of processes. But um, bottom line is, I enjoy titling uh, the, the pieces. So when you write. What comes first, the title or the poem itself? Mm, mm, mm. Chicken or egg? Well, yes, that's right. That's know, what I was thinking. <laughs> I tend to write poems. I think I tend to write them first, and then title title them, and then revise them, and then revise them, and then revise them, and then have them return unaccepted from an editor and revise them again so <laughs> i enjoy the revising process mm-hmm. um but i've also been warned not to over revise i think there is a you know a danger of doing that as well mm-hmm. so you know about the revising and the editing i'm not sure whether i've asked you this before and i need to make a note to everyone that larue has been with me before a number mm-hmm. of years ago so i'm really really glad that he's back with me in terms of editing, 
Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? And based on what you've shared, you like to edit. I do. I do. Um, let me put it this way, Michael. Mm-hmm. I have often found that in the heat of writing a poem that I feel is the best thing I've ever done, okay. um, I, I know now enough to respect time as my most useful critic. And so I've learned to, okay, in the heat of the moment, you may think this is great. But give yourself a little bit of time, and usually like 90% of the time, I'll come back to the poem and go, oh, no, 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 no. I like these few lines here, but, you know, it needs, it needs a little bit of work, or it's too unclear, or it's too clear, or it doesn't have the, the pacing or the, the rhythm that, I, that I'm looking for. So... Um, I, I do tend to revise. A lot of folks believe in the spontaneity of the moment, capture yes. it on the page so and let it glitter there, and that's absolutely wonderful. I completely respect that. My own process requires that I, that I go back and take another look. So who leads you or the poem in terms of its development? Well, uh, I think for me, you know, one of the wonderful ways that poetry is really magic is how it kind of sprouts from very, very, very small seeds. And, yeah, sure, I hope to guide that process as the poem grows, but um, often it's not. I simply kind of step back and gawk at how the poem becomes. Uh, Now, you know, I... I try not to lose complete control, but there's an awful lot of just uh, inert momentum in a piece that comes from somewhere uh, that, you know, I, I have learned to respect. And often what that means for me is being in a space, being in a place, being in a quiet enough spot uh, often right before I go to sleep, where, you know, I can just let the the ideas, the thoughts, the feelings uh, emerge um, mm-hmm. and then try to make sense of them and try to capture some of them. You know, Moncal's Kalu made the following statement, and I'm sure he's not the only one, that poetry is like a canvas. You can paint any picture with it. And so what I'd like to know is, how large was the canvas that you used to write these poems in this book? Was it the size of the limit? <laughs> I use all kinds of paintbrushes. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to and can't paint. In fact, I have a poem in this little splash paint. Um, the canvas, you know, that's a really interesting question. And quote, I think for me, uh, many, many poems get started kind of small, then grow large in, in approach or in um, focus. 
but then towards the end, I find that some of the revision process is trying to kind of eh, maybe contain them a bit, guardrail them, uh, be, begin to have them what I call behave a little bit. I want them to be rowdy. I do want them to be rowdy, but I don't want them to tear up the house. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Why not? Why can't they tear up the house? I mean, <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> well, it might be. It might be. And maybe sometime I will do that, Michael. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with the great Dr. Hiram LaRue. Hiram, please share some more of your work. Well, thank you, Michael, for this opportunity again. Uh, This poem is all about that privilege that I've mentioned a couple of times. Um, It first appeared in Fevers of the Mind. It's titled, Well Born. When every day floats by like smoothest cream and all you've known are peaches. When every day is cream or bluest skies or languid sighs while others try as might. If every day is ladled cream or spoons to lick, then yes, what does someone else's curdled anger mean? Here's a poem about what I call the gratitude for the day's grin. It's titled Hinge. If clouds could sidle up to us as friends, if what we wished oiled every hinge or had us spend all our time outside or framed each page with light foretold, and if cans on shelves were faces held the ones we've grown to love. If keys opened 
all the wind for us, or weeds hid gold inside. If echoes from the well came up to treasure us, if all such miracles were hardly said like thunder far away, if tasseled corn would teach us songs, or only this, if vines, if vines, could whistle from porches. This next one is about the love of errors or mistakes. <clears throat> it first came out in Live Encounters. It's titled, A Good Many. The wisdom of mistakes, their joyous failings, are all gifts of wrong sublime. In fact, a life that errors its way through each extraordinary bungle makes the stars in heaven and flaws are really lasting wonders in disguise. There's such joy in sour cream. Poor choices turn bedazzling. They become loving bundles of handsome weeds. And let us never forget what a kinked hose really means. It's hellish tangles suddenly become the gushing holy of holies to every waiting, wilted soul. And this last one in the set is all about an off-balance sweep of a poem. It's titled, Kilter. Promising you what spins off or comes unglued or slips from first to last when not looking. Promising you, too, the gift of mystery seeds and unmatched rhymes. Promising all treasures held and hid for lots later especially those beyond and undescribed, from top to bottom and in accord, like starry wands or shadows noon, promising you all slippery things, the slowing blue, the slant that tends to open Thanks, Michael. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hiram. <laughs> Incredible. What I'd like to know, I think you shared that there's 70 poems in the book. Right, about 70. Okay. So what I'd like to know is, is there a poem in the book that humbled 
or frightened you? Oh, wonderful question. Um, well, there are a couple of poems that are just a, a titch more personal, and I mean by that more kind of directly biographical than okay. I'm used to um, writing. And so those were, you know, I wrote them with a little bit of trepidation, but I went ahead and wrote them. And so okay. um, I think those were maybe the ones that daunted me the most. Um, yeah. Well, would you be willing to share one of those? I hate to put you on the spot. Uh, I'm going to ask I anyway. Yeah, I think there's one coming up towards the okay. end All right. that maybe All right. is. And that one about, I don't know if you remember it or not, but I, uh, up of the way here a little ways, I read one about kind of uh, covering covering me with shiny dirt. That, that's a yes. little bit more personal as well. So, yeah. yeah. So as you think about promoting the book, sharing the book, is there a specific audience that you're attempting to reach or just a broad range of readers? Well, Michael, you know, I think to be honest, any poet living today or mm-hmm. not living today, living, you know, many years ago, would have to admit the, the need for really the want for uh, acceptance of her or his work by contemporaries. So, yes, I, I certainly hope that my poems will resonate with readers broadly. But, you know... I also see enough of poems that have lasted or endured over the years, even over the centuries. I've seen enough of those poems to know that those poems' future readers are who decide the fate of the poems. In other words, future readers often are the judges of what lasts, if you will. And so for them, I'm hoping that some of these poems... Uh, provide some freshness for those future readers, you know, who I will never know, um, but it will provide, they'll provide some freshness and some, a few maybe aha moments. So kind of writing for both contemporary readers and those to come. Yeah. As I researched for tonight and for others in the past as well, a question that I kept finding in the literature over and over and over again, is that there are people out there that believe that poetry is dying. So what I'd like you to share with me, do you agree or disagree with this statement and why? Yeah, well, I come from a very biased point of view because, you know, I I am steeped knee-deep or maybe even butt-deep in poetry at this point. I just absolutely love it and and thrive on it. Um, So my sense is, that poetry is as vibrant, as robust, as popular as it's ever, ever been. Having said that, I know that there are uh, lots of folks who are gun-shy of poetry or just shy yes. of poetry. Yes. And, uh, and I respect that, And but I've also seen some of those very same people come to poetry with eyes wide open once it's made a little bit more approachable, more friendly, uh, and, and, you know, they've, they've, they, these folks have just kind of gotten the religion of poetry. So that's a very long way of saying I believe 
that poetry is having its moment currently. All right. So what, Hiram, are you attempting to convey to your readers? Well, uh, as mentioned, I think, you know, to the extent that I can convey a bit of amazement, appreciation, Mm -hmm. gratitude uh, in, in some of these poems, that's kind of where... What I'm, what I'm hoping to convey, and if I were to be asked, you know, how to read these poems, how to read this yes. book, what would you give? Well, I would say close your eyes. I know you can't close your eyes when you're reading a poem, but close your <laughs> eyes. And they were, they were written in a place of, of gratefulness that um, they kind of ask for closed eyes. And as we were mentioning earlier, um, a few of these poems I've recorded, and the audio uh, recording files are available. And most importantly, the last collection, Metajar, was uh, turned magically into an audio book by the narrator, T.A. Niles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Please share some more of your work. I enjoy hearing you read. Well, thank you. Uh, you'd let me know if if I need to cut any of these. I mean, no, you know, cut down no, on the number fine. of poems. Okay. No, we're fine. Uh, so this one is all kind of about the <laughs> the basics, the fundamentals of being a human. I know that sounds pretty grandiose, but uh, that's the way I would kind of introduce it. It's titled "You or Me." We all need to realize that most people worldwide pick their teeth. Nearly everyone does, everywhere. (laughs) And if that seems too odd of a way to leave war alone, then someone should maybe point out that each of us, everyone, young or old, sits down at the day's end as birds head home. I mentioned tomatoes and growing them here a while back, and here they are in a poem. This one's titled, A Bad Year for Tomatoes. Such hope there was in early June with lush and vines and roots gone wild and stalks tied up from overgrown and too with ready jars for pudding. But nothing turned red in time or swelled as was expected. What a piddling August take there was. The drooping nibs or oozing spots, only ants came rushing in. How foolish our first grinning was in leafy June that ended on such shriveled pips and fallen offs. All of this has been a lesson peak at forward harms, the warning times in Giddy. And, uh, Here's a piece 
about all that we throw away when we use lovely throwaway phrases. It first came out in Wild Greens, and it's entitled Intentions. How maybe so gives up or really should haves sneak off and only ifs are only said or how that just make do foregoes while really hope so turns to fog or we knew better never does how those best wishes are almost always not. Like, that's a shame, is useless. It seems so easy to say away so little, to care like all the air inside of dear, oh dear. And here's a a gratitude poem, believe it or not, about regret. About regret. It came out in Angel House Press. It's titled, Where Did? And it's the last one in the set. Where Did? The lives we've left undone. Our breezy plans of never made with years and years of mistaken yanked ups or even tossed aways. And all of those unused tickets, those times of just this once, we never risked. Even every didn't know or didn't care, we relished. Yes, We've only thought of comfort. So what of now? These waking ups to little chance or sudden wants. The why oh whys of should haves. And more and more, the wooden fences we peek through. Thank you, Michael. Oh, Hiram? What do you think makes poets? Sorry, Michael, you're breaking up, breaking up just a little bit. Okay, I'm sorry. What do you think makes poets different from other people? Mm. <laughs> well, many of the poets are orange or <laughs> different color. I'm, you know, that's a wonderful question. Because I've seen such diversity, wonderful diversity, in, That's what I was thinking. in their voices. And so and from every walk of life, every background, of course, every culture, every political affiliation, every uh, fan of a different baseball team. I mean, <laughs> there are voices of all stripes. And so it's hard to uh, to know uh, if there's any kind of degree of separation, of maybe flipping it around, I'd say that I've been incredibly and wonderfully surprised by uh, folks who I would never assume 
tuned in at all to poetry, just from their body language or cut of hair or whatever, (laughs) who, in fact, love poetry. So I've been fooled many a time, and so I'm hesitant to even hazard a guess what the distinctions are. (laughs) So writing this book, and we need patchy ways. Yep. Uh, And I'm sorry, you broke up just a little bit. Okay, I'm sorry, sir. But I believe that we need a book, a a collection like patchy ways. There's this... So much chaos in the world. So a book that brings a sense of calm, in my estimation, is extremely important. Well, As I listen you know, to you, I, help center me. I, I feel centered listening to you. Interesting. Well, well, of course, I really appreciate that. I, I, I'm thinking that, as you say, with all the ruckus that's going on, very yes. rough and very disconcerting, and we even worry about the future. Um, I deflect to, uh, I I am concerned, and that's where Poetry X Hunger comes in. But Mm -hmm. I'm also, I kind of deflect to, okay, so what can, what can I depend on? Some people, many people depend on their faith. Um, I tend to especially look for, uh, solace in in nature, and um, a lot of my poems are grounded in that looking up and looking out uh, as I walk outside each day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a question that I usually ask, and it's, it's something similar to the following, and I'm paraphrasing now. That's because we live in a world where there is so much focus that poets, poets should write about the ruckus, that there's their responsibility. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't write about rocks. They should write about the ruckus. What do you think about that? I would say uh, that, yes, they should write about the ruckus, and they should write about the rocks. I think we okay. need all of those voices speaking mm-hmm. up. Um, mm-hmm. And... I absolutely love much of the work that's being done today about the headlines. It's important that we speak up, that we speak out, um, that we can confront, um, and that we persevere uh, through all of these troubled times. I also think that we all need a little bit of balm, and I spell that B-A-L-M, not B-O-M-B, balm. I see some of that coming through also, a dose of that uh, being provided by by poetry. Um, I I obviously, like everyone else, read the news and tune into the news and are often captivated by it. But I also just have to, have to, in terms of maintaining any kind of uh, a balance of any sort, off-kilter or otherwise, I have to have a little bit of find a little bit of solace in uh, the, the the written word, uh, the poetry mm-hmm. especially, and so I think we need both of those in the in the uh, survivor kit. All right. So, what do you think you learned about yourself writing patchy ways? Well, Anything new? I think I've learned I learned through writing that book 
the poems in that book that, yep, indeed, I'll finish one day, but that I'll never really be finished. Mm. And that I've also, I also think, uh, I also feel that the book helped me realize that love arrives and comes and settles in many, many guises, in many, many different ways. And as I get older, I've, I love things that when I was younger, I simply took for granted. So I also think that it kind of taught me that breath <laughs> is a gift, Michael. You know? yes. So uh, so hopefully there will be more breath available to write a few more books. <laughs> but that one, you know, the Apache Ways kind of helped help focus on those sorts of issues for me. We've almost reached the end of our time together, unfortunately. But could you please share a couple more? I, I would I'd be honored to, Michael. And let me just pause and say once again how much I've appreciated your spirit, your heart, and your your overall uh, approach here this evening and every time that you offer one of these in-depth uh, visits with a poet. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed being here this evening just as much as I've enjoyed listening to you as you interview others. I will end with a couple of poems. Um, This one is an in-mid-air love song, (laughs) and it uh, was also in, first appeared in Angel House Press. It's titled Spilling Wings. Say I to you, these sighs of spilling wings, all lifted in this once for us. Say I to you, by beams like dawn and rise, or even more, how open climbs beside us. Say I to you, of wants and new, that pillows sing for waking in and with us. How grateful lips bring this eye to you, then hovers us on will be. And this last poem is a poem that's really agog <laughs> with gratitude, Michael. It's uh, I think it's maybe the final <laughs> It's the final poem in the book, I believe. It's near the end, I know that. Uh, It's titled Fun. For whatever gurgles or winks first or strays, for what lives like maps or rummages, and for corners near or far, or noons that are in love with weathered rocks. For this vistas curve and slant, or fences lost in weeds, for all the fun that sideway makes, and especially for whatever shares the shade. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) Thank you, Hiram. Wow, incredible. 
one one thing I'd like to know: what surprises you most about being a poet? Mm. Uh, well, if I had to narrow it to one, or possibly two, if I could cheat and okay, say two, two things. Uh, one is just as I was mentioning earlier, the number of wonderful poets writing today. It's amazing and incredible. And the number of journals or outlets for those poems to appear in, amazing number of, of journals. And the other thing that kind of continues to surprise me is my love of my love of poetry. I mean, I, I don't know that I've, I, I don't know that when I was a teenager and was starting to write poetry mm-hmm. that I ever imagined that I would still be writing it. Oh, wow. Into, you know, <laughs> into the great beyond of, of my <laughs> 70s. I recently turned 70. So, you know, it's like I can't believe that uh, we've we've been on this path together, me and, and poetry. Can one find the book? Where can it be purchased? Uh, well, I have a website uh, that's www.hiramlarupoetry.com, and I think that well, no, there's information there about uh, the book and about purchasing it, and then certainly on Cyberwit, C Y B E R W I T all one word, Cyberwit Press's website. They, they've listed it there as well. All right. What's next for you, my friend? Where do you go from here creatively? Well, I mentioned whistling. <laughs> I'm, hoping that, I'm hoping that my partnership with uh, the professional whistler is, is going to uh, be um, surprisingly wonderful, and I think it's going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. Poetry X Hungers continues to, as they say, cook with gas. I've got several things. We've got several things brewing there that are very exciting, and uh, you know, looking forward to the coming months of that initiative. And then, you know, Michael, I'm a poet, so there's always a thought about a next collection in mind. I've even got a little bit of a idea of the title, but you know, we'll see how that all plays out. But kind of looking ahead, maybe another collection. I would like to know, though, before we go, more about Poetry X Hunger. Tell me more. Sure. Well, several years back, uh, first off, my background is in uh, the farming or agricultural sciences. Uh, that's what I work. That's the area I worked in and was trained in, and so on and so forth. And I was writing poetry the entire time I was working. When I retired. I kind of looked up and out and realized that there really wasn't too much poetry available about hunger, uh, empty stomach hunger. Mm-hmm. There was a, l- a lot of poems about hunger of the soul and spirit and heart, but yes. not too much about empty stomachs. And so I thought, you know, well, why don't we see if we can encourage poets to write about that. And so the, fast forward, we have now about 400 poems on the website, and those are being used. That's the most important thing. They are being used to raise funds for anti-hunger groups. They're being used in religious services. They're being used in community uh, gatherings, by food banks, uh, by the United Nations. And so they are being used to kind of what I call speak back to hunger. And so uh, anyone who's listening who would like to submit 
a work to Poetry X Hunger, just go to the website and say poetryxhunger.com and uh, look under the submission guidelines. We'd love to see more poems. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you for sharing your work and for being you. That's what came well, through to me. The realness of you. I like that. That uh, We don't see or hear a lot of people just be themselves. And Wow. That's all I can say. Well, I appreciate that. It's a mutual admiration society we've got here going, <laughs> Dr. Ingram. So thank you so much for the time you spent, the quality time you spent this evening with me. Well, Hiram LaRue, everyone. <laughs> Dr. Hiram LaRue. <laughs> Patchy Ways. <laughs> An incredible collection. Go Thank out right you, now. <laughs> Order it tonight. <laughs> A million copies. All right. Thank you. <laughs> well, as I share with everyone every week, Thank poetry yes. somewhere throughout the land. Good night, Hiram. There you Thank you, Michael. Good night. All right. Good night. Good night, everyone. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.